Welcome to the Ohio District UPCI Podcast. The following message is a part of the Church Growth Seminar, which was spoken by Jeffrey Harpole at the Ohio District Camp Meeting. We hope and pray this message blesses your life. For more information about the Ohio District, visit us at ohiodistrict.com. Okay, are you ready? Here we go. Proverbs chapter 14. Let's just start here. There's a lot of places to start. Let's start here. Proverbs 14 and verse 4. Where there are no oxen, the manger is empty. But an abundant harvest comes through the strength of the ox. There you go. What more do you need? A few years ago, actually when I, when I before I came to Terre Haute, I was, I was teaching Bible studies and I loved this and I started to teach Bible studies. I, I created my own Bible study. I pushed the print button and I'd print out my copy and I'd print out copy for whoever I was teaching. I went to every house that I could until my staff gathered those loose leaf um, fill in the blank Bible studies and then they put it together. This is the fourth iteration of my Bible study, which I call tabletop Bible study. Tabletop just because I sit at a table and this is my joy. And I have taught 2,000 Bible studies in 20 years now. And, and, and the number is going up. I've kind of lost track. I've also lost track of how many children I've dedicated. We've, we've dedicated, I think right now it's over 160 children we've dedicated. At one point, there was a lady having a baby every month in our church for 13 months in a row. I've said, we got to find that lady and stop her. But it was, we've had so many children. And the, the, the key to, to church growth, what is the key to church growth? What is the key to church growth? Well, the key has got to be biblical. I appreciate all of the documents and books written in Christian bookstores, but believe it or not, the Bible already has in it keys and the principles to growing the church. Now, it's not just one thing or two things. It's all of the things combined. But let's just consider the ox. If the if the if the stable is clean, it means that there's no ox in the stable. If the stable is, is full, there's going to be a mess. And I preach, I'll take the mess. I'm going to take the up and outers and the down and outers. I'm going to take everybody. Listen, all of my people that are coming in, nurse practitioners and attorneys and engineers, they all have tattoos. I called for everybody who got baptized in one month. 15 people came down. Two grandmas were down there. And one of the grandmas had a sleeve length tattoo from her wrist all the way up to her sleeveless shirt that she had on that that day. I baptized her the week before. If you're going to have church growth, you're going to have people who don't know about the Lord. Now, I see that I'm talking to pastors, but I'm also talking to church members. I just want you to know the church is the only institution that's built for its non-members. It is not built for the people who just know what's going on. That's why in our churches we have a screen. We don't need screens with digital displays. We don't need that because our people already know the songs. We use those things, those items for people who are coming in that want to know. 
All right, so, so let's just go with Acts. Are you ready with Acts? I'll just do this real quickly, and, and if you can take a note, that's great. If you can't, just ask your neighbor to remind you later. It's the paradigm shift of the book of Acts. The paradigm shift happened in Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 1, we have a unity problem. Everyone say unity. Unity. When the church gets in unity, there can be explosion in Acts chapter 2. Pentecost happens after unity. In Acts 1, one of the disciples has committed suicide by hanging himself, and Peter is replenishing the bishopric. Acts 1. Acts 2 is unity in the church. It took a while for Acts 2 to come about. Now, we only know that at the time of Pentecost, there was about 120 in the upper room. But we don't know how many people started in the upper room. If, you, if you'll just do the math, you've got three main festivals in Israel, right? You have Pesach, you, you, have, you, have, you have Pentecost, and you have Sukkot. Pesach is, is the Passover. Pentecost is the first fruits. That's 50 days after the Passover. Everybody still with me? So the Passover is when they cross the Red Sea. 50 days later, they're at Mount Sinai. They're going to... Sukkot is at the end of, of the harvest. Um, so when, when Jesus was there, he was with them for about 40 days. He was in the tomb about three days. That means that they were about seven days in the upper room praying. That's 50 days. Pente means 50, 50 days from the Passover. When they're in the upper room, they pray, and God gives them an outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Unity comes first, and then, because they were all with one accord in one place. What would happen in your church this Sunday if everyone was in unity? We haven't really gone back to these simple principles. Let's go back to the simple principles. The unity of the body. Acts 3, we have miracle signs and wonders because when there is unity in Pentecost, there will be miracle signs and wonders. It always accompanies. That's when Peter and John reached forth and brought a man and pulled him up. Acts 4, we have oppression from the outside. They brought them into the council, Sanhedrin council, and rebuked them sternly. Acts 5 is pressure from the inside. That's when Ananias and Sapphira were in the building program. They lied to Peter and, and Ananias died in the church. That's also revival. And Sapphira, I don't know why she came into church late, I would, I think if ladies, if you want to live, find out what your husband said. Don't come to church late. Come with him. Find out what he said. All the dumb things he said, don't say it. You get to live. He dies. But you keep changing your clothes. I don't know why. Oh, see, I'm in trouble. But my wife's not here, so I have so much freedom in the Holy Ghost or something. Can you imagine that Someone would die in the church, and that, we're not talking about the Old Testament, we're talking about the New Testament. Here's the problem with Acts 5. We have flesh, that's called flesh. Flesh enters the church. Everybody has their own ideas, no one's truthful, and when that happens, you cannot have a revival in the church. Now comes Acts 6, and that is the paradigm shift. I'm not going to go over this, but... But we teach vertical and horizontal ministries, and that's what happened in Acts chapter 6. A vertical and horizontal ministry, it's, it's a phenomenal thing. It's my answer to the Pareto principle that 20% of the people do 80% of the work. Now, let's just, let's just look at this real carefully. 
They chose men of good report and they separated godly men that of good report to do the administration and then they had other men that gave, them continu- gave themselves continually over to prayer and fasting. That was the paradigm shift. Now we get to look at the book of Acts for the growth of the church so that we can have the, the stall, the church full. Acts 2. They were daily in the temple and house to house. They ate their bread with singleness of heart in the temple, house to house. One of our problems is we've magnified the church and we think it's the only place for people to find God. Now, I don't know how many doors you have in your church, but let's just say in this place, those back doors are the main doors. How many doors do you have that leads into your church? Well, I don't want two doors or four doors. Every home is a door that leads into the church, every home. Now, I, I probably should preface this because, because we, we do some radical things. And uh, uh, two weeks ago on a, on, a, on a Sunday night, we always have our 4th of July celebration on a Sunday night. We shoot off fireworks. There's usually about 15 to 1,800 people on our front lawn of our church to watch fireworks, food trucks, all kinds of stuff. We, we, have, we have music that's synced up with the... With the um, with the fireworks, it's a phenomenal thing. Tammy and I are like kids in a candy shop. We're just walking down in that field in front of the church and we're just greeting everybody, loving on everybody. We've prayed for people in the middle of that field. It's a wonderful thing. We do some radical things. I just want you to know, however, we do have a growing church, but I did not have to sacrifice holiness to grow the church. So I just look... Pastor Andrew was talking to me, our youth pastor, he's a phenomenal guy. When I looked up and saw 115 young people on the platform and the girls have long uncut hair and the guys are living pure and we preach about virginity and being holy before the Lord, I want to tell you, I don't, you don't, no one ever has to sacrifice any holiness to grow the church. That's a lie. That's a lie. But to have what you need in the church, it does not begin in the church. We, we have people come to our church. People slide in, come, and, you know, sometimes the church, they're throwing down, they're shouting, they're dancing. On a Wednesday night, people were, as I was teaching about the gifts of spirit, the gifts of spirit fell. People are just speaking in tongues. People come in and watch that. It's a little crazy. It's kind of wild for them. Think of what the guest considers when they walk into our church. People are speaking in tongues. You're all dressed very much alike. All the women look alike. All the men basically look alike. This is a culture shock for them. So I am trying to encourage our people, don't just invite people to church. In fact, don't invite them to church. Invite them to your home and then invite them to the church. Listen, Ruth did not know Jehovah. She had no interest in Jehovah. She knew none of the practices. In fact, if you look at the Moabites, that is a corrupt, the, the inception of, the, of Moab is a corrupt beginning. The Moabites, Ruth does not care about Jehovah. She loves Naomi. She's attracted to Naomi. Naomi, whatever God you serve, that'll be my God. Wherever you go, that's where I go. In fact, where you die, that's where I'm going to die. When you win people to yourself, they'll accept any God in any religion that you have. The platform.
platform of love is the greatest platform you'll ever build in your church. The platform of love and acceptance. The platform of love and acceptance. I'm driving down the road several years ago, and the Lord spoke to me and said, I want you to go to Mr. Modisette's office. I said, Lord, he doesn't know me. You go to his office. He's the attorney in our town. He's the prosecuting attorney. The Lord said, go to his office. I said, well, Lord, I don't know. But the love of God just is is compelling me. So I went to the office. I talked to the to the receptionist. I said, I'm, I'm Pastor Jeff Harple. I'm here to see Mr. Monison. She said, well, do you have an appointment? I said, no. She said, well, wait a second. He's in a, dep- a deposition. He, she went back. He said, she said, go to his office. I went to his office. I sat down, those big blue leather chairs. I began to speak in other tongues. I cried. I said, Lord, I got to stop this before he comes in. He's going to think I'm crazy. Finally, he walks in small talk. He's sitting behind that big oak desk, his, all of his paraphernalia and books and everything's there. And finally he says, well, Reverend, what can I do for you? The Lord spoke to me and I said to him, I'm taking a chance. I said, you might think this is crazy, but the Lord told me I'm supposed to be your pastor and your prophet. And he sunk down on his desk. He put his head down. When he, when he put his head up, tears were running down. He said, I've been praying for somebody to come. I didn't know who to go to. I baptized him, his wife, his sons, and I baptized his secretary and his and her family. If you love people, it'll push you aside, push you beyond your pride and your inhibitions. Sometimes we say we're shy. It's not shyness, it's pride. Because you have a fear of being rejected, but you have to love people and, and bring everybody in. Listen, there's all kinds of people. I've got four Assembly of God families coming to church right now. I've got one, one guy. I've whittled him down from three gods to two gods. It's awesome. i got two little ladies over here on my left side when I'm preaching. They love it. One's got the Holy Ghost. The other doesn't want the Holy Ghost yet. They both, they don't dress like, like the apostolic ladies, but I'm not them because where there is no oxen, the place is clean, but I want the mess. Bring me all the mess. You can have all the good people. I want all the mess. I want all the people that are down and outers and up and outers. Shiloh is, is the head of the drug task force and he had an affair. And when he had an affair, his marriage was over. But one of his buddies brought him to my office. I prayed for him in the parking lot. He repented of his sins in the parking lot. He came to church and I baptized him and they're doing great. Praise God. He's the guy who arrests everybody. He gets up early and they make all the drug busts. He's got a big team. And one Sunday night, from the back, I saw this man come in. He's walking in. He's a drug dealer, the number one drug dealer in our town. He comes in, staggering from the back. The conviction of the Holy Ghost is on him. His friends have told him, if you want to get free, you got to go to new life. He comes down, he collapses right there in the front of the altar, and he lifts up his hands. He's got all kinds of drug paraphernalia on his person. But Mr. Monaset, Brother Monaset, comes down. He's praying for him on one shoulder. Shiloh Ralston is praying for the other shoulder. The man who would have arrested him and the man who would have prosecuted him prayed him through to the Holy Ghost at the altar. I'm here to tell you, if you build a platform of love and accept it, everybody will come. So let's go to church growth. How am I growing? How are you growing? 
Well, it's only by the grace of God except the Lord build the house. I don't think there's anything that we can devise in our ideas or plans to arbitrarily grow the church. My thought is that we have to build a culture because culture of growth always consumes programs and events. Your culture in your church dictates who you are. It is who you are. Now, culture is basically defined in, in a smaller way. I suppose you could say it's the characteristics of a, of a person or it's the, it's the way we do things. I, I, for a long time, people were striving to be perfect. I would tell you, don't strive for perfection, but strive for excellence. Just because we have the Holy Ghost doesn't mean we need to be foolish and ignorant. We, we, we have to get ourselves together. Um, we have multiple ways that we're reaching people, not just one way, multiple ways. And we teach Bible studies and we have youth programs, all of those things. I'm sure you all have that. We have a program, uh, I mean, maybe 17 years ago, we started a little food pantry. We had eight, uh, I'm sorry, three cans of, 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 uh, of soup in a closet. <laughs> and a couple came to me and I said, let's do this. And we started and now we have this massive food pantry. It's incredible. We don't even really give out food. What we really do is we elevate the integrity of the people. Our food pantry looks like a little grocery store. And there's, there's grocery carts. And, and they go around with, a, with an attendant. And one of our folks helps them. And they get the groceries that, that they can get. Uh, we, we combine with Meyer, the, the, the big grocery chain. Feed America. Feed the children now are with us. Last year, we gave away 110,000 loaves of bread and 93 meals. Uh, Governor Mike Pence, a couple weeks before he was nominated, came to our food pantry. We have pictures of him doing a little grocery shopping. And uh, there he is. Uh, we didn't know he was going to be nominated as the vice president. We're not just giving people food. We're elevating the level of their, uh, of their life with integrity and we're ministering to them. And we're looking at the people as they come on those Thursday nights, filling up the parking lot. It's a mess. I put on my nice suit jacket and a nice shirt and I hug all those people that are standing next to their cars. They don't bathe right. They're smoking. They smell bad. I hug them. They know who I am. They don't all come to our church, but they think that I'm their pastor. Now, if you know anything about me, I'm grateful for the scripture that says, if you drink any deadly thing, it will not hurt you. I'm also applying that to germs. I have, I have a bottle of, 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 hand sanitizer behind my, my, uh, my pulpit so I can wash my hands. After I shake hands with the people, these people have germs. I'm shaking everybody's hands. I'm praying for them. So if you know anything about me, for me to go out and hug all those people, that's a work of the Spirit also. <laughs> I'm loving on those people because they need to be loved. I'm after everybody. Every day I get up, I think about the church. Every day I go to bed, I'm thinking about the church. When I leave here, when I leave this place, I've got meetings. I've got to have a Bible study. I've got 11 people in my new Bible study, my table.bible study. I have 11 people. They don't know about the Lord, but they're coming to my Bible study. I put my, I put my polo shirt on and my blue jeans, and I sit down at a table, and we have something to drink, and I'm teaching the Bible study. It's the four-lesson Bible study, the, the death, the burial, the resurrection and a little bit of the Godhead in the fourth lesson. And when by the time they get done with that, I baptize most of the people. Here's why we're not keeping the people. I don't want to just have people come to the church. I want retention. 
Why do we not have retention? Because we didn't follow the Great Commission. It was not to baptize. The Great Commission was not to baptize. If that's all we're doing, we, we just, we failed. He said, go ye therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them, what, what's next? Teaching them to observe all things. The bookends of baptism is discipleship. Listen, listen, what we have to have, we have to have all of these evangelists, reaping evangelists. David Smith came to our church. I don't know how many people got healed. I think there was 20-something people that had a miracle. And there was around 18 or 19 people received the Holy Ghost. But when he is done and he leaves, we've got to baptize them. Now, I'm working, I have worked, not actively, with 127 churches. This is my, this is my survey. I've been talking back and forth for two years to Brother Gleason. When people come and get baptized in our churches without having a Bible study first or without having a Bible study afterwards, our retention level after 36 months at the greatest is 13%. When people have a Bible study before they're baptized and they are discipled after they're baptized, the retention rate is 70%. God called me to reach the world and I have to do that with every measure I have. I don't know who's coming after me to, to, to teach in the seminars. But I do know that these men are excellent because they combine everything and not just one thing. I want it all. I want what you know and I want what I know and I'm going to combine the church. So how are we, how, 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 can, we, how can we progress? Well, it doesn't just start in the church. How much time do I have now? Where am I at? I didn't bring my... Do I have 20 minutes? I would have probably done better, Pastor, if you'd let me have been on the floor about there, but I can, I can go, I can probably, I can come down here. I really do love platforms. It helps me to see over everybody's head. The church is an interesting place. We have a little, a few misnomers in the church. One of the misnomers is that the church service in itself is the all-encompassing, all-encompassing fix-it location. The problem that we have in our churches as I look around the country is that we've got a lack of integrity in our homes. The church is not reflective in the home. The home is reflective in the church. If you consider Samuel, I, I, I could read the scripture to you and uh, maybe, I, maybe I should just bypass it, but when you consider the, the, the scripture, the men came to Samuel and they said that because your sons, and I'll read this from 1 Samuel 8 and 5. Behold, thou art old, and thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the other nations. If you consider the scripture, it wasn't just a whim that Israel decided they wanted kings. It was because Samuel had not trained his sons. And he had, he had a lack of integrity in his home. So when I'm thinking about the church, I'm thinking about a fully functional, healthy church. But a functional, healthy church does not come about if we have dysfunctional homes. So until we 
deal with dysfunctional homes and get them in order, then we're going to always struggle in the church because the church is reflecting whatever happened at the home. So every morning, in the morning, we, we bought, uh, I, I don't know, I, I probably bought 200 of these Bibles. They're called uh, 365 Bedtime Bible Stories. We passed around to everybody in the church. And, uh, and this year, I think they, they bought another 100. We just passed them around. They're wonderful, wonderful uh, little devotionals. We take every morning in our table with our children, we read the scripture together. We read one of those edifications in the 365 days. We talk to our kids. I've, we gave our kids at our own table the tabletop Bible study. We're memorizing the scripture. Whether it's M90, whether Bible quizzing is going on or not, we're memorizing the scripture. See, I don't think you can withdraw something you've never deposited. I want you to go do that. Go tomorrow. Why don't you go, in fact, why don't you go to your bank, ask them for $100,000. Go, go do that. Come on, don't you have faith? Come on, doesn't anyone have faith that the bank's going to give you fifth third? Come on. Don't you believe that? Well, that's what we do every day in the church. Well, God, come on, I need help, but you've never deposited anything. I, I want to say something, Lord, now you're going to help me. No. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm hesitant, but let me just say it. When I started Bible quizzing, we had to hit a doorbell and raise our hand with a glove on. A colored glove. Anybody remember that? Now you know you have these little, it's like Jeopardy. Now you just push the button. But back those days, in fact, in those days, we memorized the entire book. So back in those days when I was 12, 12 to 18, and we memorized everything. I memorized the book of John, Mark, Acts, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st, 2nd Thessalonians, all of the Pentecostal doctrine, which was 127 verses at that time. And by the time I was 18, I had memorized 5,000 verses. Now, I don't know all the references, but while I'm preaching, sometimes those verses come out. Because, see, I'm withdrawing something I deposited. You want something, but you haven't deposited anything. You want some power, but you haven't deposited any time in prayer. So I'm giving myself to fasting because my mother and father had no money. They never made more than $250 a week from the church all the years that they pastored. And I feel like I have got to impose sacrifice before the Lord. I've got to get close to God. So I am addicted to fasting and to prayer because I've got to get myself in order. If I don't put that in my own heart and put that in my home, then the church is only going to reflect my inept, spiritual, anemic spirit. So that means I can't have a good golf game. Oh, shoot. I'm sorry. I, I, you know, I, I don't have, I don't, all, all I want to do is see the people come to God and I've got to reach for them. So every day, the zeal of thine house eats me up. I'm out there every day finding a Bible study, talking to somebody. In fact, I tell them what my motives are when I sit down at our local coffee shop called Java Hoach. I sit there and I tell them, just want you to know my motives. Because when you found the man, you found, when you found the motive, you found the man, right? I just want you to know my motive. My motive is I want to see you give, have a closer walk to God or come to the church. I want to see you filled with the Holy Ghost. I want them to know my motive. So I'm talking every day. So last week when I sit down with two judges and I'm sitting there with them and I'm talking 
talking to them, they already know. They're talking to me about their life. When the school, when the superintendent of schools comes to our church, at, I love my city day, and he pulls me to the sanctuary and says, Pastor, please pray for me. He's got to know my motive. My motive is to get after his soul. I'm, I'm desperate to reach the people. Until it consumes you, until soul winning and disciple making consumes you, all you'll do is sponge and you'll take and you'll glean and you'll live in the land of inspiration. I'm not living in the land of inspiration. I'm glad to have a platform here. I'm thankful my pastor, I'm thankful for my pastor. I have authority over my life. My pastor, my first lady of our lives, Sister Stark, I'm thankful for them. I love them. I don't do any major thing without talking to him. I, 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 I send him writings. I, I, I'm texting him on the phone. I'm grateful for, for I'm here. Thank God. But when I leave here, I'm going to take, I'm going to get back to my city and I'm going to go back to my city and get everybody I can because Sunday is coming. We're going to have a Holy Ghost time. I'm going to get into everyone's home. I'm going to pray the prayer of faith. We're going to have a Holy Ghost revival. you got to have a Holy Ghost revival. Are you desperate for a Holy Ghost revival? It's got to eat you up every day of the week. You've got to have a Holy Ghost revival. Amen. Amen. So, house to house, if you don't have any home ministries... I want you to consider you don't have to have an organized home ministry. Just have somebody over for dinner. This is a wonderful thing. Sometimes we're waiting for pastors to tell us what to do. You know what to do. You have the Holy Ghost. Go make a friend. Make a friend. Be a friend. Make a disciple. Be a disciple. It's that simple. You know how to talk to somebody. Go talk to them. Love them. Um, we, we have, there, there are a few things that we have to do in our church. We, we, do, we do have to expand, and we do have to grow, and we do have to have new processes and programs. We do that. We have an organized thing. That there's, everything is computerized. When I first came to Terre Haute, we have a lady. She's still living, by the way. She's about to turn 102. Her name is Mary Fell, and she used to take attendance at our church. She did it by hand. Of course, we didn't have anybody. We only had about 50 people total. I remember when we had eight people in our sanctuary, eight adults, Mary Fell would take attendance. If you fell asleep, she would count you absent. We were wondering why Jack Simmons hadn't been in church in nine years. It, it worked long hours. The roof leaked on the back side of the church where the choir would sing. I, I led the choir, and, um, and I preached. So I, I led some of the songs, prayed for people, led the choir, preached, worked the altar. We didn't have a lot of folks. It would leak. We had buckets there. We had buckets in the back. Before I came, the windows were very bad. There was a, a massive group of ladybugs, like a ladybug farm, growing in the side window. The lights didn't work. One of the chandeliers was out. They had nine loans. <laughs> they had nine loans and they, they didn't know that they had nine loans out. We built our building. We built a new bus barn. We built all these things we built in the church and we, we paid off our debt last September. Praise God, we're breaking ground. In fact, I just got the picture this morning, Pastor, that the new steel 
uh, is going up for our 12,000 square foot atrium. And we're going to connect that to the new sanctuary in time. Praise God. But when we started, we had nobody, we had nothing. And all we did was, was have church, love the people, and give Bible studies. Now, if that's how we started, that's how we should stay. If we professionalize what we're doing, then, then what we've done is we think that we've graduated beyond the basics. Church, house to house. Bible studies, prayer meeting. Fasting and giving. This is not a church growth program. It's a biblical program. Now I'm going to end with 10 minutes in this subject called the generational church. This is what we're building, the generational church. I'm all over this. This is, this is what I've been doing for a long time, the generational church. I'll give you a microcosm of the generational church. We have a, a children's worship center. It seats about, I don't know, that worship center seats a 100 or so. We have to have rotation for kids to go there. Um, but in that children's worship center, there are two screens in the back, there's, there's a small soundboard and a small computer. It's a Mac, Macintosh computer. It's an Apple computer. The kids who work in the sound room there, the little sound room, are 8, 9, 10, 11 years old. They know how to operate the computer. They're very smart. They know how to operate the sound. We have praise singers. They're all the 10 and 11-year-olds are praise singers. When... When they graduate to 12 years old, because we can't have everybody in our sanctuary, we can't fit them, they go to the north campus where we've, we've, we've reconstructed, remodeled the old church, and it's a, it's a really cool youth center. Youth have their own church service every Sunday morning. That 12-year-old goes from kids' church over to the youth church, and they already know the computer program because we have the same Mac computer and a little bit larger soundboard, and they're running the sound. By the time they graduated 18, and they come to the main campus, they, we have the same, they're larger computers, but they're the same programs. They're learning. That's the generational church. I have four 11-year-olds that cut the grass, the church grass at our church. Four 11-year-olds, and they're under the direction of three men. Because that's the generational church. I'm not going to be held hostage by another carnal musician. Wait a second. I'm, I don't want to be held hostage by another carnal musician who wants to show off their, their keyboard skills or another singer who's decided to be a prima donna and exercise all their Mariah Carey vocal tricks on the platform. So what we've done is... We, we set aside some church money and now every family who would like for their child to learn the drums or the guitar or the bass or the keyboard or the organ, we as a church pay for their lessons. We have 10 children under the age of 13 taking piano lessons. One night, and we've got players that are phenomenal, one night, as our musician, our, our main musician, he's phenomenal. He's playing a song, and I said, oh, that's awesome. This was about three years ago, uh, two years ago. And I said, hey, come bring Roman up. Roman's my son. He's playing. And he played the song. We played it one time, and I said, come bring Noah up. Noah came. He's a little younger. He played the song. Come bring Jackson up. He was eight years old at the time. He's playing the song. That is the generational church. Because if we always use the best of the best, and we never train anyone else, there'll come a time when the best will get will age out or or they will be ill or they will be disenchanted 
We have a generational church, and the generational church is a long 10-year model, not a short term. And why? Because the covenant was never made to stop with Abraham. Write it down if you want to. It's called the principle of Siena Duomo. The principle of Siena Duomo comes from a small city in Italy, Siena. Duomo is the church. In that city, they built the city around this gorgeous church. If you look it up online, you'll see the mosaic, the marble. It's perfectly cut. These mosaic pictures on the walls and the floor. It's not done yet. It was never intended to be done. They've been working on it for 700 years. When they began, they knew they would never finish. So they said, we're going to train our sons and our grandsons and everyone ahead of us. And they kept doing it over and over again. The, the building is still not complete because they, were a, they had a generational model. It was a generation. It didn't stop with one generation. God forbid that all your wisdom and all your gifts stop with you. I do not want to have a ministry based upon individual talent. We had a guy who used to make chickens and he would, he would barbecue these chickens and rotisserie. Well, when he passed away, guess what happened to the chicken ministry? Nobody can do it. When, 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 when Brother Dennis died, it was over. No, a, a, a powerful generational ministry must be repeatable and it's not based upon charisma or individual talent. It's got to be transferable. Are you getting all this? This is the generational church that I'm, that I'm working on. It's not going to stop with me. One of the young execs walked into Michael Eisner's office many years ago and they looked out over this massive area of Disney World and, and he, the one young executive said to Michael Eisner, oh man, don't you wish Walt Disney could have seen this? And Eisner said, he did see it. That's why it's here. See, what I am into is building a church ready to go to heaven now with healthy functional homes that reflective in the church. But knowing that if the Lord tarries, it's going to be beyond me. Hear me, pastors. You are a temporary manager. That's what you are. You're a temporary manager. And in time, someone else will occupy the pulpit that you sweat over. All the Sunday school teachers. So how do I do a generational church? I'll tell you how I do it. I have young people that shadow one of our wonderful Sunday school teachers one month at a time. And they learn how to teach Sunday school. Everybody who wants to work in the youth, you don't get to start working in the youth. You start working in the 10 and 11-year-old class and you work there for two years. Why? Because now you have an intimate relationship with them when they turn 12. You're ready to minister to them now that they're 12. It's a generational church. There's no way I can go through everything. I just want you to know you've got to be passionate for this. I can give you ideas, but the principles are always the same. It's unity in the body. It's an explosion of Pentecost. It's house to house. It's in the church. It's trying to strive for the Lord every day. Every day. <clears throat> oh, Jesus. Are you all right now? Everybody okay? I don't know. Maybe we should have got some more coffee. The coffee was out. Uh -huh. I'm praying big prayers. Let's pray some big prayers. What if we prayed some big prayers? I'd like to tell you everything that's going on, but 
I'm, I'm, I've learned to be careful. I'm not too careful, but I'm, I'm learning to be careful. Because, you know, not everybody's happy when the church grows. Not all the, not all the other brethren are happy. And I always say, you know, I'm smarter than Joseph. My daddy gave me a beautiful coat. I don't show all my colors. So, but let's pray some big prayers. What if you prayed a prayer you knew was too far for you to reach yourself? How about let's pray for a thousand soul revival. I'm praying for a thousand soul revival. I pray for percentages of my city. We give God 10%. I have 6,350 people in my city. I'm praying for 6,350 people in our church. How about that? Can that happen? Why would that that be unusual for us? See, we think in Pentecost that a mega church is 500 people. We are really struggling. We got to get out of those boxes. That's not a mega church. That's a beginner church. That's a little prayer meeting on the backside of Nazareth. Come on now. You got to look at your city. They're all lost and going to hell. They need the Lord. You've got the only... My son Reagan got up two years ago and preached his first sermon. I couldn't believe it. He got up and preached his first sermon on, on the youth night. And this is his sermon. There was a doctor. And the doctor found a cure for the incurable disease. And the doctor went to the office. And they all rejoiced over the cure. And then the next week they got back together. And they threw another party because they had the cure. And every week... At the end of the week, all the doctors and the nurses got together and they started to shout and clap because they found the cure, but they never shared the cure. They just rejoiced over what they found. What would you think of a doctor who had a cure for disease for your son, your daughter, or your grandchild, but they never shared the cure with you? You have the cure to a world that's dying and going to hell. Now, let me just ask you, are we not exclusivist? See, I've had to battle the emergent concept that accuse us and accuse me of being exclusivist. I wouldn't say I am an exclusivist. There's only one Lord and there's only one faith and there's only one baptism, one God and Father above all and through all and in you all. There's only one. So if, if I really believe no one can go to heaven without being baptized in Jesus' name and I am an exclusivist because the gospel is not just the good news. No, that's like icing on the cake. I don't have to create the gospel. Paul already told us what the gospel was. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. I want to remind you how that the Lord died. He was buried and rose again on the third day. That's the gospel. If you believe that, you've got to get up and do something about it instead of going to church and clapping our hands and having church just for us. Because then we become a subculture. We become a subculture. And that means we know how to do everything in here, but we don't know how to do it out there. Church growth happens when you, not the whole church, when you get up and say, I'm desperate to find somebody. And if you're rejected a hundred times, one, one person might accept you. Oh, man. Now, I don't know if we'll have, if we'll, if we'll have the Thousand Soul Revival tomorrow, but I'm playing the long game. I'm building an infrastructure. I'm building an infrastructure that will hold the people. 
We're going to have revival. We're going to have Holy Ghost revival. I want everyone to get the Holy Ghost at one time. But I also know they need to be taught holiness and godliness and roots, right? Is this, is this right? Do we believe this now? I want to have a whole, I can't tell you how many people I've baptized. I could tell you, but I'm not going to do that. I can't tell you how many people I've baptized, but I wish I could have kept everybody that I baptized. It's not the back door. I don't find a back door. Closing the back door doesn't make any sense to me. I'm not trapping people in. What am I talking about? I want them to fall in love with the church. It is relationships. If I can build relationships and the infrastructure. Do you know why you don't want to live in Nashville, Tennessee? Because the founding fathers of Nashville built a city in the mountains. They have no infrastructure. They're struggling. We were there with our general conference. There were 10,000 more seats and auditoriums than there were hotel rooms. They can't keep up. Infrastructure. You don't want to live in the LA area. They don't have good infrastructure. Infrastructure in a church church are pillars and people that love other people. You've got to have people in the church that will love all the down and outers, all the drug addicts, all the people who are intellectual, everybody. The infrastructure of the church is what's going to hold people in the house. Oh, wow. Okay, uh, this is my last thought, Pastor. My last thought here for us is that as I've grown up in, in Pentecost, and by the way, I am Anthony Mangan. My name is Paul Mooney. I'm Vesta Mangan. I'm Nona Freeman. I am Jerry Jones. That's my name. I am a composite of every voice I've heard. I am not the individual that you see. I was born and bred in the church. I laid under the pews. I slept under the pews. I would wake up and women with three inch high heels would dance around my heads and never, I was never stabbed. It was a miracle. Never, we, were, we used to ch- count a ch- good church service by the mounds of bobby pins we could find on the floor. People would, sh- would shout and things would come out of their hair. They called them rats pieces of yarn. Never mind. <laughs> Growing up in the, in the Pentecostal faith, I, and in, in fact, in the apostolic Pentecostal church, I know it, it may be instinctive. It may be from birth. I'm not sure. But I know that there's, there's always a group of, of people in the church that are the catalyst for the revival in their church. Always. There's always a catalyst for revival. And I appeal to you if you're that person. I appeal to you. If you're not, I appeal to you to become that person. If you're a lead pastor here, there's many things that you already know. You, you already know the path that I take. All the lead pastors already understand just by looking at another lead pastor, you should have compassion for that pastor because you know that no one grows without pain because preaching comes at a cost. Growth comes at a cost. No one grows or is pastoring or leading without being cut. I may not die by a single thrust, but I will by a thousand cuts. So I've got to pray that the Lord will help me. I also know, and I appeal to whoever is here, it might just be one. Listen, Jesus planted the seed that Philip was able to harvest 
And he did so when he went to Samaria. And here's the scripture. He must needs go through Samaria. He had a reason to go there. He's playing the long game. Philip is going to come back to Samaria. And he is going to magnify what the Lord began in the woman who had five husbands and met. Can you imagine this? The well sat down at a well and ministered to her. And he planted a seed. I appeal to you. Set yourself on fire. Eat and breathe disciple making. Go home to your church. Start a prayer meeting. Start a Bible study. Start a group. Worship like you've never worshiped before. Throw caution to the wind. If you're rejected, keep going after the people. Growth comes through the passion and the church and from house to house. And that concludes this podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please like, share, and subscribe. And for those of you on iTunes, leave us a good rating. Thank you for listening to the Ohio District Podcast.